0: I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. I, on a morning like this, who wouldn't want to do that? I just had to think of our Sunday school lesson this morning. Um, we had some discussion on the Sabbath. And with, yeah, along with the message that James had here a couple weeks ago, I, I think I have... Uh, a a new appreciation for the Sabbath or for for Sunday as we as we observe it. Obviously, we're not observing the Sabbath like the Jews did, but we need to take that seventh day and uh, and give it to the Lord and and uh, as as our, as it in uh, Exodus this morning, make it a holy day. Well, this morning, um, I'd like to continue with the series that we've been doing on the Kingdom of God, and maybe just for a, uh, um, to test your memory, um, who remembers what we talked about in the last message? How about the first one? This is the third message in the series, Kingdom of God. Um, Okay, well, that's... Yes, okay, well that um, that's, uh, that's why I'm going to review it a little bit. I know for myself, sometimes in a series like that, you know, by the time he's about done with the message, you kind of remember a little bit what he talked about the first time. So, um, the first message on the kingdom of God, we... Basically uh, saw that Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God. We went through the New Testament and and just saw that Jesus' ministry was about preaching the kingdom of God. Um, In fact, it is the central theme of the New Testament. Paul and the apostles, they also all preached the kingdom of God. That was the message. And we talked about the difference between an autocracy and a democracy. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit again, just to refresh your memories. We live, the country we live in is a democracy. As citizens, we have a right. We, we can vote in the leaders that, we, that govern our country. And in an autocracy, it is ruled by one person or party that has complete rule over the citizens. The citizens have no say in what takes place in government. So as Western, as American Christians we have a hard time understanding how that could function because we are so geared our whole society is so geared towards we have our rights. Our, the very core of our constitution is designed to protect my rights as a citizen. And so that's the society we live in. So therefore, when we look at the kingdom of God and we look at a kingdom that would be ruled by one man or one party, we just, we, we just have a hard time seeing that. That was the first message. And by the way, we're going to look at, what we're going to talk about today is going to also has, let me back up. The difference between an autocracy and a democracy has an effect on how we, on, on the obedience that we live our lives with. So that's what we're going to talk about today is obedience. And so I think um, the very fact that we live in a democracy has a lot to do with how we view obedience. Okay, second message, last message. I talked about um, the fact that Satan also has a kingdom, the kingdom of this world. Satan is the prince of it. And these two kingdoms are at odds with each other. Therefore, there is a lot of conflict and turmoil, and as citizens of God's kingdom, we are caught up in this, in this conflict. We talked about struggle with relationships and, and the purpose of life, and uh, just the fact, the, the very fact that Satan is attacked. <coughs> Excuse me. talked about the very fact that Satan is attacking God's kingdom, and I use the analogy of uh, um, the allied forces um, invading um, Normandy, France on on D-Day back in uh, 1944. We're going to look at that a little bit again. I'm going to use that a little bit again towards the end of this message. So this morning, um, we want to look at the role that obedience plays in, in, how that, in, in how we live our lives. And so we ended the last message with the fact that we are in conflict. Satan is attacking the kingdom of God. And the question, one of the questions I want to look at again some this morning is how do we live our lives uh, how do we live a victorious life in the middle of this conflict? If we're caught up in this conflict, how do we cope with it? How do we deal with it? We're going to work towards answering that. And as I studied this, I uh, I wondered if if obedience if to the the degree that we are obedient to God's word to the degree that we are obedient if that has is directly connected to how victorious we live the Christian life do you think it's possible so if if that is if, if that is possible, if, if we can, if, if how obedient we are is related to how victorious we are, then is it also possible that we can profess Jesus, we are Christians, we go to church every Sunday, we do all the right things, we're Christians, and yet we're living a defeated life. <clears throat> So is it possible to profess Jesus, to live a Christian life, and yet be living in disobedience? We're going to look at scripture and get some answers. First of all, I think we need to define obedience. And the definition of obedience is compliance with an order, request, or law, or submission to another's authority. Now remember, while we talked about an autocracy and a democracy, we live in a democracy. And we don't like to have someone else tell us what to do or how to do it or how we're going to live our lives we are americans after all we take care of ourselves we're very individualistic minded i can provide for my own family and i do not need anyone else to tell me how to do it so being obedient to a or living life in an autocracy where there is one god in authority it flies in the very nature of who we are as people. Not only our human nature, but just as Americans. It, it just does not sit well with us as Americans. In fact, in this study I came across a quote from Thomas Jefferson, and this is the quote. Rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. Rebellion against tyrants is obedience to God. That is our American view of obedience to God. I will obey as long as it doesn't cross my will. As long as I'm okay with what you want, I will obey. But once you tell me what to do and I don't want to do it, I won't do it. Okay, so let's look at what Scripture says. And the first passage we're going to look at is in Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice, what? Lawlessness, disobedience. So there will be people who profess Jesus. They go to church. They, if someone would ask them if you would meet them on the street, they are a Christian, and yet... Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness, disobedience. So, it's clear from this passage that Jesus expects, or that we we need to consider this question, how obedient are we because if, if we're disobedient, then just the very fact that we have this passage, we, can, we now understand that obviously there are people, there, there are things that we, even though we profess, we believe that Jesus is Lord. Maybe there's something else that we're missing. Maybe we're not as obedient as we should be. Another uh, scripture I'd like to turn to is in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 5 to verse 9. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but he said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, speak this is speaking of Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. This is speaking of Jesus' prayer in the garden, the tears and the sweat, the blood that he he shed there, although he was his son. yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him now I don't remember when I first noticed this passage the fact that Jesus learned obedience it's been a number of years but It it caused me to stop and to ponder that. How, why did Jesus need to learn obedience? He was perfect, after all. He was the perfect man. Why did he need to learn obedience? In fact, just prior to this, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was tempted just like we are, and yet was without sin. Later on, here in chapter 5, he says that though he was his son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So, if Jesus needed to learn obedience, what, where does that put us? If Jesus needed to learn, what was it that he learned through that suffering? Is there something that we need to learn as well? And I think there is. I think there's, there's a fundamental truth in these passages that we often tend to miss in life. Let's imagine for a moment that we could, we could just remove all evil from our lives. We remove Satan, all temptation, all trials and pain, and, and, you know, there'd be. We could just remove all that from our lives. How then, if that was all gone, How then would God know that we love him? Because if evil is all gone, then do I still have a choice? If evil is all gone, I I would have no choice. I could, but I would have no choice but to honor and glorify and worship God. So, So this, in this passage, I I think there's this, through through the sufferings, through the temptations, through the evil that we experience, and by, we're going to look at this, but by the obedience that we practice in that suffering, that is a measurement or a way that we can, that God knows and we know, we'll see in John, where we are at in our relationship with God. Got ahead of myself a little bit. adversity there is no such thing as obedience what we just talked about without struggle there is no such thing as having to make a choice (laughs) without choice there is no love if I could not make a choice today to stop loving my wife then how would she know that I love her or if if I would know that she has a choice. She could leave me. How would I know that she loves me? See, it's that choice that makes love possible. So, in this choice, Since we have a choice, if we want to have a relationship with Jesus, obedience is not optional. If we're going to pursue a relationship, obedience is not optional. And I'd I'd like to here turn to, in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. We're going to look at a number of verses in there. John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. So, here we can see from this short verse, John chapter 14, verse 15, that if we're going to express love, if Jesus is going to know that we love him, we need to follow his commandments. And I will pray, this is, this to give you a little bit of background here, this passage, I'm sure most of you know, this was, took place in the upper room at the Last Supper, just before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was then taken captive to be crucified. And he's Speaking to them, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you, and I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, what Jesus is saying is that we will see him if we are obedient to him, if we keep his commandments, because that is when the Holy Spirit will come to us, the the Trinity. And so Judas says in verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So Judas isn't understanding. He's wondering, how, is, how, are just, how are we going to understand, but not everyone else? Jesus says, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, speaking of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So this is why the world will not understand, because they don't keep his word. They don't keep his commandments. They might profess his name, but if they're not keeping his commandments, they're not going to understand. They're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd like to skip ahead to verse 29. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. So he's, he's talking about being crucified. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. So what he's saying is, so that the world may know that he loves the Father, he keeps the Father's commandments. He does the will of the Father. John again writes about that in the first epistle of John in chapter 2. Now by this, we know that we know him. Here he's he's saying how we can know whether we are in a relationship with God if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, And does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So, here again, same thing. If we can profess with our mouth... But if we are not doing what he has asked, he says we're a liar. And you know who the father of liars is. Again, in chapter 3 of 1 John. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Here we now get, we also get a glimpse of what he's asking us to do. This is his commandment that we love each other. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. We know by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we are in him. So how does this all look in real life? I think if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to keep his word, there will be action. There will be we will not be passively confessing with our mouth, but not being involved in not being uh, not being involved in in any relationship with other believers. I'd like here to turn to Hebrews eleven. And we're going to walk through this, I'm not necessarily going to read the whole chapter, but there's a couple things in here that we're going to look at. I'm sure most of you are familiar with this chapter, we call it the faith chapter. Starting in verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the action of someone that is looking for something to come or it is the it it's the it's it's the evidence it's what we what we can see in preparation or in Because we're expecting something else. Jumping ahead to verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. This is why he was taken, that he pleased God. This is why, that's why he had a good testimony, that he pleased God. Verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, I like how this little verse is sandwiched in in the middle of this chapter. It's not quite in the middle, but um, very it's a key verse here, I think, in this chapter. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so, if we go back to verse 1, and we think about what faith is, faith is the substance or it's what we do in expectation of what will come. Let's go on to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his his household. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive. By faith, he, verse 9, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Verse 11 By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Jump ahead to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning, concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's jump ahead to verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. I'm we'll going stop there for now. So what, there's a, there's a theme, there's, a, there's something all of these had in common. There's something all of these had in common. Anyone up here know? No. Exactly. That's, there was action because why? Because they were obedient. They, there was action because they were obedient. They obeyed God. Let's think about some of these characters for a little bit. Let's just take Noah for an example. He built an ark in the desert that took him over 120 years to build. or Do I have that right? Over 100 years. Now, I don't know what you think, but we're not very close to an ocean right here, right? What would we say if someone would start building an ark out here in the middle of a cornfield, and they would say, well, we're going to float this thing away. I mean, you say, come on, guy. This isn't, this isn't going to work. We grow corn here. We don't float boats. But... Noah was so convinced that what God had told him is true that he obeyed. That obedience was was his faith. It was the evidence of things not seen. How about Abraham? When God asked him to go and offer up his son. After God had promised him that through this son, you will have a large family. And yet, he was so convinced that what god had asked him to do was right that he obeyed god and he went and did what god asked him to do and the same with the same with most of these others they they obeyed god and through their obedience i'm sure that most of these would never have they they were just doing what what they thought was right they weren't trying to you know they weren't trying to get their name in this list of of names or anything like that <coughs> so how does that relate to us today well I think, uh, thinking of how we overcome, how we live in life with this, in this conflict, with caught up between Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom, I'd like to look at 1 John, the epistle of John, Chapter 5, the first four verses. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. <clears throat> Speaking of loving God the Father, if we do that, we also love Jesus. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome so we're not talking about a a list of a long list of do's and don'ts or a long list of laws this is why they're not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. It's our our obedience to God and His commandments. The degree that we are obedient, to that degree, we will overcome the world. And... To help us understand that, I'd like to to leave you with the idea that obedience is a means to our salvation. It is not something that is optional, or it is not something that is added as a burden, if you will, but it is through our obedience that we obtain or maintain that connection with Jesus Christ like to look at our conflict in Eastern Europe again a little bit Um, just An interesting little tidbit that I missed. Interesting little piece of history. Just this will be free. Um, Remember I talked about how that the Allied forces, this is Britain, this is France down here. Actually, all of this is France. The Allied forces had, they had put up a large mock army up here because they knew the Germans were expecting an invasion here at the narrowest point of English Channel however as we know they they crossed here and invaded right here this beachhead right here they were so effective with their with their uh, deception up here that when they began to invade here the Germans seriously thought that that was part of the de- that was that was a deception. They they were so sure that the attack was going to be up here that they they had actually had staged most their their best troops and and supplies and armies up here in preparation for the attack they knew was coming. And down here they only had like maybe what we'd call the national guard or you know it they're It wasn't, um, they weren't the Marines or somebody like that. And so when the attack began here, they didn't move these troops down here to reinforce because they were so sure that this was just a a mock attack and that as soon as they pull these troops down here, they're going to attack here like they knew they were going to. If the Germans would have pulled their troops down here right away, It's very doubtful that that invasion would have worked. (coughs) What I'd like to look at with with this illustration is remember the uh, analogy I had about us being captive back here behind enemy lines. We're in a cell and how that Dwight Eisenhower being the general in charge, how he came and liberated us. I'd like to pick up on that story and Weston, I'm going to pick on you if if I may. Remember, most of these boys in the war were teenagers or in their lower 20s. And so... It's okay, you'll make it. So, you are caught. You were part of the invasion here. And you saw the awful fighting on the beach there. You made it up on land, but you got caught captive back here. And you are now way behind enemy lines and you are captive in a secured concrete bunker guarded by the most elite of the nazis so dwight as we uh, if you remember dwight is as jesus he has the power if you will he comes in behind enemy lines. Remember, this is what Jesus did when, when he, he uh, took captivity captive. And he comes to your cell. And this is several years. You've been there several years. You've completely lost hope that you will, there's absolutely no way that you will ever see your mom and dad again. And he walks in through your door and he loosens the chains and he says I will lead you to captivity if you follow me and do as I ask you to do you need to keep your eyes on me you need to walk exactly where I walk and you need to f- keep your eyes on me and I can lead you to captivity lead you out of captivity the question is Would you obey? Would you do as he asks you to do? This morning, I would like to close with that analogy. That is where we are at. That is what Jesus has done. Jesus has asked us to follow him and to walk the same walk that he has walked. Are we going to be obedient? You see, it's for our own good. That's why we, we have such a... We, we find it so hard to believe that an autocracy would work because we fail to trust the king. You see, it's all about trust. If we trust the king and we are okay with with if we can see the king as our liberator, as liberating us from sin and death, hey, his commandments are not burdensome. They take us to freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your your love for us, Lord, that you have died for us, you have paid the cost for us to, Lord, we just ask in the name of Jesus that we could follow after you and that that we could be obedient, that we could, by the way we love, that we could that we would know by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, Father, that we are your sons, your daughters. Just ask, Lord, as we go from here, Lord, that the love that you have for us would be evident in our lives, that others around us might might see you through us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.